Just a word of warning, if uh, you've got your first thought on your mind as you're walking up, don't stop by Kyle Wade, okay? Uh, thoughts will change as you, as you walk past him. So this morning I got here a little after 8, and uh, I stopped by to get wired up, and Craig says, now Brad, there's an X where he set the table. And then there's two lines on either side of that X that you can't cross, we won't worry about it the first time, but the second time you're going to be on film, so you've got to stay within the lines. And, and so now I have a little uh, bit of self-consciousness trying to make sure that I stay between lines. I'll, I'll do the best I can. Uh, this morning we're going to talk for a few minutes about whether or not we're safe. And, and while for the most part we are, I learned this morning early that we're not all safe here all the time. Do not try to sit by Christy Corder if you want to be safe. I've I've learned that this morning. So, uh, Tim Keller wrote this in, in one of his books. He says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known but not loved is our worst nightmare. But to be fully known and fully loved, that is our deepest yearning. I think if we're honest, we all have a story that we'd like to hide and that we'd like to hide from. And for some of us, it's big and it's scandalous and tabloid worthy. And for others of us, it's the embarrassment of a season of life, maybe. But we all have that story. We all have that shameful moment that we're kind of afraid that if someone knew about it, they'd use it against us. And if you'll turn with me to John chapter 4 this morning... Uh, you'll see a lady that Jesus encounters that I think is no different than the rest of us. Many of you sitting here this morning know this story really, really well. You know this woman is an outcast. You know she's an outcast, first of all, because she's a Samaritan. You also know that she's an outcast, not just because she's a Samaritan, but she's even outcast from them because of the choices that she's made in her life. And, and she's coming to get water at that one time of the day. And she's just hoping that no one will be there. She's hoping that no one will see her. So that she doesn't have to be confronted by the story of her life. That everyone knows and everyone judges. But this day was different. Because she had company. She had lots of experience with those first two lines of Keller's statement. She had lots of experience with people who said they loved her but didn't know her. And so the feeling of love was very superficial and not lasting. She had a lot of experience with the second line. There were a lot of people who knew her story and judged her and did not love her. She had no experience 
with the third line of someone knowing her and loving her anyway. And so here she is in the heat of the day, gathering water and being offered living water by a guy who doesn't even have a bucket. John chapter 4, beginning in about verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? So Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I, will give, I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman said. If you knew who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The verse 15 that I read tells us that she wanted that living water. She'd been searching for it all her life. She didn't know what it looked like, and she didn't know who would carry it, but it was what she wanted. And it was out of frustration of not being able to find this life that she goes looking for counterfeits and settles for cheap substitutes that gave her temporary peace or temporary feeling of acceptance, only to eventually leave her empty and alone again. And the question is, do you see your story in her story? Do, do you see those spaces in your life where you've looked for something, and you've been looking for something bigger and better, and something that would last only to be disappointed and settle for less. Then we see Jesus totally set her up. Verse 16, he says, go get your husband. Now this lady's in a bind, right? This stranger doesn't know me. He, he doesn't know all of my story because if he did, first of all, he wouldn't be talking to me. And number two, he certainly wouldn't say this. So now she's in a position that most of us find ourselves in at one time or another thinking, if I tell him my story, he'll reject me just like everyone else has. 
So what do I do? Well, so she's not going to just flat out lie to him. She's just going to give him a little truth. You ever done that before? I'll just give you a little truth. I didn't lie to you, right? So we have this little game in the Thompson house where everything is Brad's fault. If you ask Haley who did or didn't do something, I promise you her first answer will be Brad or dad in her case. So, so we, we have this thing going on all the time. And sometimes it's just flat out Karen. She did it. But so when I say, Haley, you need to go ask your mom who did it. Karen won't lie to her. She says, I never lie to her. And she doesn't. But so Karen will take a bite of her pizza and come back. And she says, Haley, who did that? I said, Haley, you need to ask your mom who did it. And Karen says, Haley, who do you think did it? She never lies to her. Dad! And there we go. Yeah. You ever been there? You don't want to lie, but you fear the rejection of someone knowing your whole story. So you share bits and pieces that you think will keep you safe. But in reality, you're not safe. You just end up more and more isolated. So we do things like this. Are you sober? Yes. Right now. Don't ask me about last weekend. Are you honest? Yes. But the IRS doesn't count, does it? This lady was not taking the mask off for this guy or anyone else for that matter. So she chooses to tell the story in a way that keeps her safe, a way that the stranger could, have, could handle. And so just maybe, maybe she could find this living water. <laughs> then Jesus does this amazing thing. He tells her the whole story and still offers her relationship. And what was the result of being fully known for her? She went from being a misfit to a missionary. You read just a little further in the story and you find out that she had gone back to her village and she had told her community about the person who told her about her life. I wonder sometimes if the fear of telling our story keeps us from changing the world that we live in. And I wonder if some of it has to do with the idea that what we think is our story isn't really our story. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the story that I just read you? When I read about the Samaritan woman at the well, what's the first thing that comes to mind? 
Well, I'm going to tell you that if the first thing that comes to your mind is this woman who's had five husbands and the guy she's living with is not her husband, if you think that's her story, you've missed it. It's not her story. The, the story that the Samaritan woman is ashamed to tell Jesus is not her story. The story that we get afraid that others will hear and not accept is not our story. Do we know that? Do we understand that? Do we believe that? Her story is her search for this living water. That's her story. Her story is the search for the thing that gives her life that she can't find. And because she can't find it, she keeps looking for something that would give her meaning in her life. And in the end, it just keeps leaving her with disappointment and struggle and loneliness. There's a, there's a ministry, a counseling ministry just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. The, it's called Onsite, and it's an intensive personal therapy. And they'll spend four or five days unpacking the life that you have developed over the years that has led you to great struggle and frustration. And I love the way they say this. Onsite says your behavior that is causing your current pain is not your pain source. It is the portal through which you can see the source of your pain. Does that make sense? Your behavior that is causing your current pain is not your pain source. It is the portal through which we can see the source of your pain. So if you think the men and the loose morals and the failed relationships are this lady's story, you're missing it. And I want you to know that if you think, man, I've lived a life of failure, and so it's, that is my story, Brad, you don't get it. I want to tell you that at best, it's a small chapter of your story. It's just a small chapter. I want you to see that those things that she did, those relationships that she had were cheap substitutes. They were counterfeits that were trying to fill the space of what she really wanted. They are the answers to the what question. What have you done? When the question that really matters is why? People come to my office and they start to tell this story of all the mistakes they've made and bad choices they've made. And I tell them, I, I care about that only because I care about you. But I've got to tell you, I don't care about the what near as much as I care about the why. And if we'll just start speaking truth into the why, the what will change. And so let's deal with the why. And I think it's really important for those of us who might be on the other side, who might get to hear someone's story to get this right. Because if we get too focused on the what of the story, it will be really easy to get judgmental about it. It will get really easy to miss the opportunity to ask the truly important question. And that is, why? Where do you think this all started? 
And it's when we create the safety to ask this question that we get to hear the stories of the broken home, the overbearing parent, the misfortune of growing up in poverty. And it's there that we might get to win the opportunity to really hear someone's story. So I'd love for you to look at that text that I read, and I want you to show me where Jesus condemns this immoral person. I don't see it. He tells her her story, but he doesn't end telling her story by saying, you go fix that, come back, and maybe I'll still be here. He just tells her her story without judgment and without condemnation. And because of that, she's safe, she's known, and she's loved. I'm just afraid that sometimes we get stuck in trying to clean up the mess chapter of someone's story without knowing the why. And because of that, we miss the opportunity to be that safe space to offer people living water. If you're, if you're here this morning and you think, yeah, but Brad, you don't know my story. I want to tell you that we can handle it. And the reason I know that is because we have a story too. And I want to warn you real quick that I believe one of the great schemes of Satan is to get us to believe that because our story isn't this big scandalous tabloid worthy story that we don't have one. And I'm just going to tell you, if you fall in that category, I promise you, we all have a cheap substitute that we'll settle for instead of waiting for the living water. And if you are of that thought, and many of us have said it at one time or another, that the quote is, there but by the grace of God go I, right? If you've ever thought that, I want to stop you. Because the truth is, you did. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We went there. And he's redeeming it. I hear it often in my office, especially from people of this church and people who know our preacher, who, by the way, did not tell me when he asked me to preach this Sunday that we would be having two services, and so I'd have to do it twice. So please challenge him about his total honesty when you see him next, okay? Um, I will hear this. Don't give me that take off mask stuff. I've heard it before. And I've even tried it before. And I've had people tell me that they could handle it. And then they didn't. 
And these people leave feeling judged and ashamed and more alone than they've ever felt before. And I just have to tell you that it breaks my heart to know that many strugglers have a chapter in the story where the church was not a safe place. Where the response they did get was, get that stuff together, then come back and see us. If that's part of your story, I'm sorry. But let me tell you that this is not that place. I've been here for a little over 20 years. And I've watched as our leadership, both as a group and as individuals. Here are some of the most heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, shame-filled, guilt-producing stories. And some of those stories have been mine. And without fail, I've watched them offer forgiveness, grace, mercy, and a relationship with Jesus. Make no mistake, that offer includes accountability and responsibility. But love will always be offered first. If you're uh, leaders and you have a spot, if you'll move to that space, now would be a great time. I, I want to close with this. I am so thankful for Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step programs that, uh, that have literally changed millions of people's lives. And, and far be it for me, for me to be a critic of something that has been so powerful for so many. But one of the things that I've always struggled with was that is the way we introduce ourselves in those settings that I am Brad and I am an alcoholic. I think I understand the purpose for that. It's staying connected to the struggle. But at the same time, I want to believe that who Jesus says I am and how God sees me, that that would be my identity. That I would not continue to allow the deceiver, the liar, to convict me of an identity that is not mine. I was talking with Jeremy Hunter about this, and, uh, and, and he shared with me the language that they use in Celebrate Recovery. He says, I am a grateful, redeemed believer in Jesus Christ, saved by the grace of God. And I struggle with. And if you're Brad Thompson, you put in there the lines of honesty. Laziness. People pleasing. You may fill in those blanks differently. 
but I struggle with whatever it is when I am not living in the truth of who the Lord says I am. What if we lived that way? What if we lived in the true identity that says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. This morning, if you have a story that you don't think anyone could bear to hear, please give us a chance. Come while we stand and sing.